This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, The Liberal Oasis podcast, Dan Savage, The Onion Radio News, The Young Turks, The Majority Report, and The Rachel Maddow Show with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Daily Show. in Washington, though, in a season of fiscal discipline, House Republicans are discovering that cutting spending isn't as easy as they had hoped. It turns out people like some of the things the government does for them. Luckily, the Republicans have come up with a brilliant idea. What if instead of cutting services for people, they cut services for women? $747 million in cuts to the nutrition program for women, infants, and children. Cutting more than a billion dollars from the Head Start Education Program. One of the bills eliminates tax breaks for private employers who provide health coverage if their plans offer abortion services. Allowing hospitals to refuse to perform an abortion on a woman, even if she'll die. <laughs> wow. That's so pro-life, even if it kills you. <laughs> so they want to cut everything from family care to prenatal care to, <laughs> to child nutrition. It's like uh, the Republicans of Congress are saying, you can't prevent an unwanted child. You can't get care if you do get pregnant, and we won't give you any help feeding the kid after it's born. But those two minutes when that skull is crowning, your baby's the most precious thing on earth. <laughs> Much of the GOP focuses on Planned Parenthood, which, to hear them tell it, is apparently in the abortion business for an unusual reason. Planned Parenthood isn't about health, it's about profit. They're focused on becoming big business. They reported a $63 billion profit. They make money on the abortions. That's ridiculous. Everyone knows Planned Parenthood doesn't make money on the abortions. It's the concessions. That's, <laughs> that's where the money is. Your junior mints. Your nachos. I mean, who needs that big a drink to go in there? <laughs> but Planned Parenthood's insidious profiteering does not end there. Sarah Stutz, who heads the Planned Parenthood operation in my state of Minnesota, said she recently opened three express centers in wealthy Minnesota suburbs, in shopping centers and malls, and places where women are already doing their grocery shopping, picking up Starbucks, living their daily lives, and stopping off for an abortion. Some of them aren't even pregnant. They just, uh, it's just so damn convenient. It's like them Auntie Anne's pretzels. You're not planning on eating one, but it's right across from Abercrombie. I had no idea so many mall abortions were going on. Is that why a lot of stores have vague names like linens and things? Bed Bath and Beyond. Dave and, uh, Let's go with busters. <laughs> now, of course, the vast majority of Planned Parenthood services are actually non-abortion related. There's uh, already a law in place, the Hyde Amendment, that ensures none of the federal funding it receives can go towards abortions. But that's really not the point. Planned Parenthood and its defenders will claim that the money they've received uh, from the government has not been used to fund abortions. But that is only technically true. Yes, technically true. Also known as true. <laughs> but go on. There's no question 
the taxpayer dollars received by Planned Parenthood are used to cover allowed expenses like overhead operational costs, thus freeing up other money for the clinics that do provide abortion. Nah, it's like a shell game. Except instead of a ball underneath a walnut shell, it's womb, and instead of a... John Boehner has decided it's it's um, a top priority for um, create a million jobs. Oddly, no. No, that's not the I next. That's not the next bill on the calendar. Apparently not. Huh, what, what's he going to do instead? <laughs> Let me tell you, Bill. Huh. Uh, the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act. Hmm, how many jobs will that create? Um, none, Bill. Huh. <laughs> It'll be none, and it will just make other people's lives shitty, which he apparently doesn't give a shit about. Um, 173 mostly Republican co-sponsors, holy fucking shit, um, has dubbed the top priority in the new Congress, contains a provision that would rewrite the rules to limit drastically the definition of rape and incest in uh, abortion cases. Definition of incest? <laughs> right? I think that's fairly clear. The limited to forcible rape. He's going to limit it to, to women can, don't need, are not going to be forced to carry the child of their rapist if it's forcible. <laughs> Fuck him. You know what I mean? Like... So they can't prove that you were physically forced. But if they can't prove that you were physically forced. Therefore, it's not rape, and therefore would not qualify, your, your abortion would not qualify for federal funding. For federal funding, which there's already a lot in place. That you, the federal's, federal funding can't go to abortions. I mean, this is truly a striking degree of douchiness. It, it really is. I mean, because you know, first, you know it's not going to become law. Right. You know, this is just basically a political stunt. Mm-hmm. And the primary reason for this bill from the conservative mindset is to make it impossible for you to have any uh, health insurance plans under the health reform law that include abortion that include coverage. Abortion coverage. It, it already is the law yeah. that federal funds can't pay for abortions except for exceptions for, of rape and incest. Rape and, <laughs> right. and, and ugly uncles, but apparently. But because there will be plans that exist that include right. abortion coverage that indirectly federal funds would theoretically be paid theoretically for, for right. even though they create a compromise to say, well, the, the money, the funds will be accounted for in a way that it wouldn't even be indirectly. Right. They're still arguing that that firewall is not enough. They want to make it so it's impossible for you to have any coverage available, period. Period, at all, ever. That's the yeah. primary reason for this bill. Yes. And, and it's you, a top priority. And... It, I mean, it's, it's already ridiculous that they're not doing anything about jobs in their legislative calendar. Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous that they want to try to do this, even though they don't to become law. But be that as it may, mm-hmm. I understand the political need to do something for their anti-abortion uh, base nozzles. Uh, as a symbolic act, which you could do without taking the extra step <laughs> of narrowing the definition of rape while you do it. 
No one was gonna, no no. I don't care how right wing you were. No one's gonna say, okay, fine, you passed the No Taxpayer for Abortion Act. Right. But where is my now rape definition? <laughs> no one was gonna say that. Well, uh, people who like to rape people may think maybe you know the, the, the all important right. swing right the swing, statutory rapist the, the statutory rapist vote and uh, lovable dad incest <laughs> rape rapist. Jesus Christ. <laughs> a very important constituency. Yeah, right. And and how about the one, like, you know, maybe the health of the mother. Like, how are they going to narrow that to? Like, well, how dead will she be? <laughs> will she be just mostly dead? Because, I don't know. Everything I do, I do it for a girl. I do it for a girl. I do it for a girl. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. You may be familiar with the fact that there are pharmacists out there who feel it isn't their job or don't want it to be their job or have refused to fill prescriptions for the morning after pill, for plan B, because they disapprove of abortion and uh, for religious reasons. And there have been attempts to codify this into law, religious exceptions for certain people uh, to not have to do their jobs because they disapprove of you and yours and your bets and what you're doing with them and the drugs that you need. I think that if a doctor's written you a prescription, that the pharmacist should fill your prescription without making any moral judgments and shut the fuck up and give you your drugs. And if they don't want to fill people's prescriptions, perhaps they shouldn't be pharmacists. We've been over this before on the podcast and everywhere else. And sometimes you lose your capacity to be shocked, but I am shocked. In Idaho, Idaho, God bless Idaho. If Idaho didn't exist, we'd have to make it up. A nurse at a Planned Parenthood office called a Walgreens pharmacist to ask for a prescription for something called methergene or methergene. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing the name of this drug, which at Feministing they write is a medicine used to prevent or control bleeding of the uterus following childbirth or an abortion. The pharmacist who was on the phone with Planned Parenthood refused to fill the prescription until... Planned Parenthood told her what it was for. If it was for someone who'd just given birth, she would fill the prescription. If it was for someone who just had an abortion, dot, dot, dot. Refused to fill a prescription to stop uterine bleeding because she might have disapproved of what had caused this bleeding. So basically, this pharmacist was saying, you tell me if this was an abortion, and if it was an abortion, I'm going to let this woman bleed to death because I'm pro-life. Planned Parenthood of the Great Northwest has filed a letter of complaint with the state about this Walgreens and about this pharmacist at Walgreens. Walgreens has no comment, but incidentally, the state of Idaho last year passed legislation giving pharmacists 
the right to refuse to provide any health care service or drug that they felt violated their conscience. So, in the state of Idaho, a pharmacist can let you bleed to death at a Planned Parenthood office if she thinks you had an abortion. Just when you think the pro-lifers can't get any more pro-deathy, you read a story like this. CEO has female sex organs. It's the Onion Radio News. I'm Doyle Redland. Stockholders of telecommunications giant Syntex were startled to learn today that company CEO Susan Nellman has female genitalia and engorged mammary glands. Syntex VP Myron Tanner. In these enlightened times, we'll accept the freakish deformities of any gentleman, and we will not discriminate against him based on his effeminate appearance. Nellman, who sometimes dresses in skirts and wears makeup, is being called by Fortune 500 analysts the strangest CEO ever. Doyle Redland for The Onion. Shafley uh, has recently written a book called The Flip Side of Feminism and she talks about why feminism is a terrible thing for society and she goes on to talk about how feminists are obsessed with divorce. They love divorce. In fact, that's what the whole feminist movement was about. It was about divorce. That's it. So, um, you know, she had an interview with um, Huffington Post with a woman by the name of Beverly Willett. And I have little bits and pieces of her um, interview that I want to share with you guys because I want to show just how oblivious this woman is to the truth, okay? So um, let's go to the first graphic. During the interview, she says, Marriage and motherhood are not something to which young women have been taught to aspire. Instead, the women in their lives... Um, the women in their lives tell them to focus solely on their career. The result is women don't think of marriage and motherhood as fulfilling in and of itself. It's silly to think there's something wrong with being in the kitchen. Everybody has to eat. <laughs> you know, that's, there is logic in that, Anna. Everybody does have to eat. Did you think about that? You know, the thing that feminists pushed for was for women to have the choice, right? So if women want to be housewives there's nothing stopping them from being housewives if they want to be in the kitchen there's nothing stopping them from being in the kitchen right like this woman thinks that career-minded individuals are just crazy like if you if you have a vagina you belong in the kitchen you belong um, on a, a table in the hospital giving birth okay that's that's the only thing you're good for don't think about a career that's not something that's going to be fulfilling for you you're going to be depressed and you're going to be upset you have to make sure that you establish a family pop out as many children as you can and that's it look the choice point is a really good one Anna because uh, they paint it as if like feminists love divorce well 
why would they love divorce? Then why wouldn't they just not get married? Okay, getting beyond the blinding irrationality of that. Uh, the reality is that the feminists pushed for the ability to get divorced because in the past you could didn't have that ability as much when you were women. Uh, so you could be beat by your husband, you could be terribly abused, and you still couldn't get out of the marriage. So it wasn't because they're like, yeah, I can't wait to get divorced. They wouldn't have gotten married if they thought that. No, it was because sometimes you need divorce, and sometimes it's also true for men, but largely for women, because you're in a terrible, terrible spot, uh, because in the past, men literally, physically had an advantage over you, an advantage over you in the law, and that they had the rights. That's why it was just a matter of giving women equal rights and a choice. You know, let me just say something about people like Phyllis Shafley, okay? You gotta give her a lot of credit because of the fact that she's been so successful at taking the word feminism or feminist and giving it a negative connotation. In fact, right-wingers have been so successful at it that even Democrats bought into the idea that feminists are these crazy evil people, okay? I mean, look at our audience. We have a progressive audience. If we talk about a feminist or a feminism-related story and we put it up on YouTube or we put it on any other type of forum, every single comment will be like, feminazi, feminists. And it's like, dude, look back to what feminism was really about. Of course, there are women who took it too far. There were women who go, you know, went around and they wanted, they wanted rights for themselves and less rights for men. That doesn't make sense. That's not something I agree with. But the foundation of feminism was not evil. It was something that I think progressives should totally believe in. So you have these right wingers, you know drawing uh, feminism in a very negative way and they keep doing it and doing it and doing it until their crazy ideas start to infiltrate uh, Democrats and liberals. It's amazing. It's incredible no, no. how successful they are. No, no, their propaganda campaigns are something to behold, man. They are historic. Uh, I can't tell you the number of liberal and progressive women who have told me, oh, I'm not a feminist, because they made feminist such a bad word. Uh, same thing with liberal, even though every single poll shows the country on the issues are anywhere from uh, significantly liberal to massively liberal. Uh, just the polls we quoted on, on today's show, they love Social Security, they love Medicare, they want to protect Medicaid, uh, they want to cut defense spending, they want to tax the rich. The country is totally liberal. But if you ask them, are you a liberal? They're like, oh, no, no, I'm not a liberal. Liberal's a dirty word. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and look, you got to fight back. If we don't fight back, you keep losing. Uh, look, part of the reason I want to do this show, part of the reason I want to do the show on MSNBC is we got to go back and punch them in the face. Okay, I'm talking proverbially. You got to fight back and you got to say, hey, these are not bad words; they're good words. And I'll, let me tell you why. And you know, and and do the likewise to them. Conservative means retarded. Conservative means a guy who doesn't believe in change when the whole world is about change. All we do is change. But conservatives. Say, no, uh, I'm stupid, I'm backwards, I'm a Neanderthal, I never want to change. Conserve is a dirty, ugly word. How you like me now?
on the phone, Lindsay Beristein. She is a journalist with the Reproductive Health Reality Check and author of the Media Consortium's healthcare newsletter, The Weekly Pulse. Uh, and uh, actually today, you can check out a, a special issue of The Pulse dedicated to Title X and other abortion issues. Uh, it'll be available at themediaconsortium.org. Uh, she blogs uh, all, uh, well, many different places, uh, as far as I know. Uh, and uh, welcome to the program, Lindsay. Thanks, Sam. It's great to be here. <laughs> all right. Uh, so... So in the midst of all the, um, uh, the, the tremendous amount of news that we've been uh, uh, following these days uh, from the Middle East to uh, Wisconsin, the um, so-called fiscal uh, conservatives who uh, came in in this wave election uh, last November, these Tea Partiers who didn't care about um, uh, family values issues and uh, uh, anything other than uh, fiscal discipline have been very busy at work essentially stripping uh, civil rights from women. Yes. Um, the Republicans swept to power in the midterm elections at the state and federal level with promises of limited government and fiscal conservatism. And lo and behold, from the minute they actually got into office, what has been their actual priority but stripping rights from women? We've got at the federal level, H.R. 3, the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act, which uh, briefly wanted to redefine rape as forcible rape, but uh, they withdrew that. But the more urgent thing as the bill moves forward is that it is, that bill will essentially, if it passes, becomes law, will essentially eliminate private insurance coverage for abortion. This yeah, is one no, of the let's talk about this. They, they, they are going to impose a, a special tax, is that it, on um, uh, health care programs or on health care insurance programs that, um, that actually include uh, a coverage of abortion services? In effect, what, the way it would work is that any... There are tax breaks built in and incentives. And if you are, in, if an employer provides benefits and the insurance the employer provides to the employee covers abortion in any way, even if it's something that the employee pays out of their own pocket, that benefit no longer qualifies for the tax credit. So it makes it way more expensive. Which basically and, means that people are just not going to, uh, uh, employers are not going to, uh, uh, provide that type of health care coverage. Exactly, and people not, are not going to be able to buy their own because under health care reform they would be entitled to these tax credits, but if any of that money somehow touches abortion, those tax credits would be null and void. It, it, the experts are predicting that insurers will not even offer um, pools that provide abortion coverage because it's just too expensive to maintain two pools and nobody's going to want to buy this coverage anyway. So one of the most common surgical procedures in medicine could effectively be kicked out of private health insurance. What, which other, is a, what, what other what other uh, medical procedures uh, are subject to uh, that type of uh, same uh, restrictions in terms of receiving tax breaks? None that I know of. Fair enough. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this is a perfectly legal... Uh, procedure and not only that, no it's constitutionally a guaranteed service. I mean, right. tonsillectomies you can get them, but they're not, you know, guaranteed. Abortion, the Supreme Court has actually said that you know it is a right that we have. And so, uh, what else are Republicans doing to infringe upon this uh, right of sovereignty uh, over uh, women have over their own bodies? 
Uh, there's another bill, um, HR 358, which um, would essentially create a loophole that would allow hospitals to refuse to refer women who need abortions, even if that, even if the abortion is the pregnancy is threatening their lives. So um, there's. So wait a second. Is that is that uh, uh, like the gag the gag rule? Um, it's not exactly like the gag rule. It basically says that hospitals can refuse to provide abortions, and then there's nothing the government can do to penalize those hospitals. I mean, a lot of the way that the government enforces what hospitals do and don't do is say, you know, if you receive federal money, you have to follow certain standards. But the law, if it, if it becomes law, will essentially create a loophole in which there's, there will be nothing that the federal government can do to penalize hospitals who refuse to provide abortions when they're life-saving or refer for life-saving abortions. So even if they're receiving federal funds, these hospitals could reject it. Is that it? They could refuse to do that, yes, under this law. Now, how is that impacted by the rescission? Uh, well, I guess this is a response to uh, the Obama administration uh, essentially rolling back that conscience clause. Um. I, that, that's sort of been in the works for a long time now, but I mean, there have been these two parallel forces of the Obama administration using regulations to gradually, you know, push choice forward, and then the Republicans in Congress use it, you know, creating bills that they hope that can count, be countervailing forces to push choice back. Right. Okay. And so, what uh, what are, what are other measures uh, that uh, Republicans are attempting to push here? Uh, there's the uh, uh, Republican Senator uh, Roger. W Weicker, who has introduced the a bill that would say that human life begins at conception. Um, there's some crazy stuff happening at the state level right now. Um, South Dakota legislator was forced to shelve a bill that effectively legalized the murder of abortion providers to save fetuses, expanded the definition of justifiable homicide to include uh, anybody who killed to save a fetus that they were related to by blood or parent or marriage. Um, that was so controversial that uh, that provision was shelved, but South Dakota is still moving forward with a law that would require women seeking abortions to visit a crisis pregnancy center, which are essentially anti-abortion propaganda sites that are set up by non-health care providers to provide misinformation about, um, about abortion. So in addition to going to their doctor and sitting through a 72-hour waiting period, South Dakota women would have to go to these crisis pregnancy centers, which are controversial that they would even receive federal dollars at all. Some of them do, but this would be the first time that a state would require someone to go to a crisis pregnancy center as a condition of getting an abortion. Um, there's a legislator in Georgia who introduced legislation this week that would um, not only declare the fetus to be a full-fledged human being, the embryo to be a full-fledged human being, but also mandate that any woman who had an unsupervised miscarriage be investigated as a possible crime scene. So now, uh, do embryos, uh, under his provision, would embryos in Georgia, would they be eligible to get driver's license, or do they have to wait? I mean, what uh, the... Uh, well, let me ask you this. The... Uh, what, to what extent on the federal level, all these attempts by Republicans to uh, roll back uh, the civil rights of women in this regard, to what extent are they uh, uh, viable? I, I mean, is there any chance of these things passing in some way? They, they, it seems like they're going to be successful in uh, eliminating abortion uh, in a, uh, a sort of a, a de facto way eliminating abortion in a de facto way as uh, something that could be covered by health insurance. Uh, they may very well be successful with that. And also I would add that the, 
there's a very real possibility that the federal government could shut down over birth control. Um, the Republicans passed an amendment to the continuing resolution that's funding the uh, federal government right now that eliminates funding for Planned Parenthood and all of Title X, which is a $317 million family planning program that incidentally does not provide any money for abortions. But uh, the various leaders in the Senate are saying that this is totally unacceptable. Even some moderate Republicans say they won't pass it, but uh, the House Republicans are in a very combative stance right now. It doesn't look like they're going to back down. So we could be looking at a showdown, the federal government stopping in its tracks, public employees not getting paid, billions of dollars to the economy costs, like the last time the Republicans shut down the federal government, all over birth control, which shouldn't even be controversial, which Richard Nixon proclaimed to be a woman's right regardless of her financial situation. It's there, just amazing that we've come to this. Are there any fractures in the uh, in the Republican uh, caucus? Well, let me ask you, how do you think we got to this point? I mean, do you think that this is, is simply a function of how uh, far to the right the Republicans have moved and how empowered they feel to carry out their social agenda uh, because of the last election? Or is it also not uh, a function of, of Democrats sort of slowly softening their position on uh, rights of women to choose? I think it's some of both. I mean, the Democrats have not been as hardline as they should have, but the Republicans are real, really on a roll right now. And you know, after the midterm elections, essentially the anti-choice uh, elements in the Republican Party have somehow decided that now is the free-for-all. Now is they, they're at the apogee of their political power and relevance, and they can demand and get bills that say things that weren't even speakable last year. I mean, the idea of... Eliminating public funding for birth control is just, that's, that was like the crazy ant that they never wanted to let out of the attic. Nobody really wanted to admit that they were even against birth control because birth control prevents abortions. 800,000 abortions a year are prevented by Title X. And yet somehow in this, this, they've become so drunk with power, so assured in their own righteousness that all of a sudden they're actually speaking stuff that's been on their agenda for years and we haven't even had to be countering because it was assumed that everyone was in favor of birth control. What could be wrong with birth control? It saves four taxpayer dollars in public funding for family planning for, or save for every one dollar in taxes that are spent on providing these family planning services. It's, it's money saving. It's freedom enhancing. I mean, who could be against this? As a friend of mine said, you know, it's more popular to be against the internet than it is to be against birth control. Well, I mean, uh, what, what have, what have uh, the, the left done? I mean, you know, this has been a, uh, I certainly know that blogs, uh, most, uh, on blogs you could find the thesis that the right wing, uh, Problems with abortion were simply a the the tip of the iceberg uh, of a belief that there should be no birth control that um, only God uh, or presumably uh, right wing state legislators uh, should be in charge of whether or not people procreate. Uh, the, uh, to what extent are uh, organizations? Uh, that are supposedly in charge with protecting a woman's right to choose, starting to uh, get the word out that there are that this is actually part of a larger agenda. Um, I think that the the national reproductive rights groups are doing pretty well on this. I mean, it's something that something that they've been saying for a long time. It just hasn't got a lot, gotten a lot of traction in sort of the mainstream and the elite media. I mean, anybody who's been on the ground watching these issues, looking at the state legislatures, looking at you know any number of you know converging streams of evidence, was very much believed that birth control was going to be the next step. But it was not polite to say so. You can't really say it on you know TV news. You can't. 
it's it sounds crazy and radical and for a long time the anti-choice forces did not want to embrace it but now now they're there in full force As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. It is tempting when you are considering the culture wars in America uh, to only look at the really extreme manifestations of them. Uh, that's especially easy to do if you venture out into the land of state legislatures. Because it almost doesn't matter at what level the national culture war is being waged on any given day, I promise you, there is some wackadoo state senator or state representative in some state somewhere in our great nation proposing something that is just patently ridiculous. You can call it the Russell Pierce rule. If he's not introducing the Papers, Please law, he's co-sponsoring a law that says Arizona should get to ignore federal laws. Meanwhile, the guy who helped write the Papers, Please law for Arizona is now the Secretary of State in Kansas, where he's proposing that he should get prosecutorial power to stop voter fraud. Secretary of State, prosecutorial power. Perhaps he'll also want to impose the sentence himself. They'll rename the position Grand Inquisitor. It is easy to fall off the kook end of state politics when you start looking out there. Uh, but because it's a rule, because there's always somebody doing it somewhere, you sort of learn over time not to read too much into it, right? Not to make these folks famous, not to extrapolate the kookery of the moment in the states into something important about national politics. But sometimes, within parties or, or within the, the, the various movements that make up the constituent parts of our American polity, sometimes what happens in the states can almost be a point of light, a point of illumination. There is a conflict nationally within the Republican Party about whether Republicans are going to be big, intrusive government conservatives like they have been mostly, particularly in recent decades, or whether they're going to be small government conservatives, the way some of the libertarian and some of the Tea Party folks purport to want to lead things. It is a fascinating struggle to watch play out on the national stage, but it is an even more fascinating struggle to watch play out in the great state of Wyoming. Yes, Wyoming. This is a story that is not going to go the way you think it is. I can almost guarantee you that. Uh, so first of all, there's something you should know about the state legislature in Wyoming. This is why the struggle in Wyoming can be seen as a sort of point of illumination for the Republican Party. Here's what the seating chart looks like. Look at this in the state legislature in Wyoming. This is the House and Senate combined. There are 90 legislators in Wyoming. 76 of them are Republicans. This is whatever's about three steps bigger than a supermajority. So think mega majority, almost one party rule here. Uh, and in steps a culture warrior, a big intrusive government state house member by the name of Bob Brechtel. 
Representative Brechtel introduced a bill apparently called the Abortion Available Information for Decision Bill. And this awkwardly titled bill calls for some fairly extreme restrictions on abortion. It mandates that doctors inform the pregnant woman that she has a right to view an active ultrasound. It also requires doctors to tell women lots and lots of things, most of which are not supported by the preponderance of medical evidence about fetal pain and when and how and to what degree a fetus feels pain. It requires all that information to be delivered to a woman 24 hours before an abortion. In other words, there's a 24-hour waiting period for an abortion. So big intrusive government bills introduced in the very, very, very Republican legislature in Wyoming. This sort of thing is happening in a lot of states right now. But in Wyoming, there is a conservative rejoinder, an actually conservative rejoinder to this big intrusive government bill. There is a volley from the other side of the Republican Party, as in, hey, you guys, actually, we meant that small government thing. And a pair of Republican legislators got up in the east wing of the Wyoming State Capitol building in Cheyenne, and they made the case against this guy, this guy from their own party, in terms that would lift the roof off the U.S. Capitol in Washington if any self-proclaimed conservative did it there. Uh, we do not think this has been broadcast uh, nationally, as far as we know. Uh, we think this is something of a Rachel Maddow show exclusive. Uh, so listen to this. This happened uh, recently. This happened late last month in the State House in Wyoming. Here is a Republican argument against a Republican anti-abortion measure. Listen. When I go to the doctor, it is the most private thing you can imagine. I want myself, I want my husband, and I want my doctor there. And I don't want any government. What this bill does is say that as a woman, that I'm not smart enough to know the decision that I'm making. That somehow the state is required in this particular decision where they are required in no other medical decision. The doctors don't need to be told by us, and we don't even know what the heck we're talking about. We don't even know what's in the statutes. All I'm asking is we keep government where it should be, and that's out of the doctor's office. Keep government where it should be, out of the doctor's office. What you just heard were Republican lawmakers making conservative Republican arguments against the tightening of abortion rights. The tightening of abortion rights that's been spreading across the country, state legislature by state legislature. One of those lawmakers you just heard, State Representative Sue Wallace, went on to tell a deeply personal story about her own decision to have an abortion years ago. As she explained to her colleagues on the floor of the Wyoming House, she had had a brush with cancer, which had already complicated previous pregnancies and caused her to miscarry once. She was a single mom, separated from an abusive partner at the time when she made the very difficult choice to have an abortion. She told all of that to the Wyoming House of Representatives. And then she said this. And the thing I want to make sure you understand is that's just one story. There's a zillion variations out there. And we as a state should not be interfering with those very personal, very private, very, um, that our ability as free um, moral agents cannot justify um, these, these broad strokes. So 
Should this go forward, I would hope to amend it by taking out all of those things that are not true and un- uh, are, are misleading, which there are many in this bill. I know that some of you, maybe many of you, feel like you have to vote one way or another on this bill to make some broad statement. But I just ask you, as a human being, as a friend, and as a colleague, not to pass mass judgment on your fellow human beings. That was January 25th. That bill, that anti-abortion bill she was arguing against, uh, was defeated. But the fight is not over. Far from it, because the original bill sponsor, remember him, Bob Brechtel, he has introduced another one. It's called the Abortion Ultrasound Information Bill, very similar to the old bill, the one that just got killed, except he took out all the super scientifically dubious stuff about fetal pain. Uh, The new bill, again, functionally very similar, is inching toward passage. But as promised, Representative Sue Wallace is offering amendments, trying to change it as much as she can, trying to make it less intrusive, making a small-c Republican, small-c conservative Republican argument against a big government Republican proposal in the culture war. We will keep you posted on her battle against this bill and this most fascinating battle within the Republican Party. Today, uh, today, the day that we are recording the show, the House GOP voted to strip federal funding from Planned Parenthood, cutting money for contraception, HIV prevention, cancer screenings, reproductive health services, in an attempt to destroy Planned Parenthood because it is an abortion services provider. The GOP is using as justification to basically nuke Planned Parenthood Uh, The false charge that Planned Parenthood uses federal funds for abortions, which Planned Parenthood does not and cannot by law and does not because Planned Parenthood does not use federal funds for abortion. I wish they did. I wish they could. They probably should. If we were a reasonable and sane country, they would, but they don't. And House GOP... It's trying to destroy Planned Parenthood, and they need to hear from you. The House GOP needs to hear from you. Your senators, your congressmen and women need to hear from you. Uh, you need to let them know that you support Planned Parenthood, that you support HIV prevention. You support contraceptives. You would think people who are against abortion would be very supportive of contraception, but of course they are not because they're hypocrites, because they're not really interested in preventing abortions or unplanned or teenage pregnancies, what they're interested in. And what they're interested in is punishing women who dare to have sex in this culture. And that's what this really 30-year vendetta by the religious right against Planned Parenthood is all about. Planned Parenthood provides services for people who may be choosing to be sexually active, perhaps without Jesus' approval, perhaps on their own schedule and not the Pope's schedule. 
And so the Republicans are out to slit their throats. You know, welcome back. We said it a few weeks ago on the uh, podcast. Welcome back to the culture wars. The Republicans took the House. And I'm sorry to be boring Savage Lovecast listeners on our ships to sea and abroad. But here in the United States, Republicans took the House and the abortion wars are back, baby. This is the third or fourth bill that's been moving through the House that targets uh, abortion rights and really people's rights and freedoms to control their own bodies and their own sexualities. And I think it's going to get uglier before it gets less ugly. Things never seem to get pretty here in the United States, but they get less ugly. And uh, things were less ugly for a while. And I think we got kind of spoiled there for a few years. Uh, We were kind of used to not having to fight these rear guard battles to protect already won constitutional rights and protections but we're back. They're back. The Republican assholes are back. And so the abortion wars are back. So you need to speak up. You need to call your congressman, call your senator, let them know you support Planned Parenthood. You might also want to go to PlannedParenthood.org and make a wee donation so that they know that you've got their backs. This is the Onion News Network, a tomahawk of honesty in the skull of lies. In another corner of the heartland, Oklahoma announced that it will be taking a new approach to the hot-button issue of abortion. The state legislature passed a bill today making it legal for doctors to just pretend to give a woman an abortion and then send her on her way. On his radio call-in program today, Wendell Mack called the new law a win-win method for reducing the number of abortions. Let's listen. The doctor doesn't have to turn a patient away or perform an abortion against his morals, and, and the woman gets a beautiful baby. I don't know why we didn't think of this before. For some lightning quick expert analysis on this issue now, let's go to the Fact Zone's first responders. Paula, let's start with you. Is this law a good idea? Well, if this plan is really going to work for Oklahoma, they have to provide doctors with the proper training to perform fake abortions, and that means acting lessons. Exactly. You don't want a doctor performing a fake abortion and hamming it up. I mean, he can't be like, and now I'm removing the contents of the uterine wall. It, 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 she's going to see right through yeah, absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these doctors have got to be 100% believable when they pat the woman on the arm and say, you can go home, but don't have any alcohol for seven months as you heal, or, yeah, you know, yeah. abdominal swelling is normal, whatever it is. Right. She's got to really buy that stuff. Well, you know, an article in the uh, Oklahoma City Journal yesterday morning actually suggested that the state go ahead and hire out-of-work actors to portray the doctors. I mean, they're already trained. As, as long as the woman doesn't recognize the doctor from the local community production of nonsense, it should work. Good but point. Duncan, you're Good also point. you're forgetting about the baby's health, which is why so many doctors plan on getting the women in for their bimonthly prenatal checkups by telling the women that they have cancer. Oh, right. that's smart. Right. Well, they've got to do something to explain away the morning sickness and the dizziness she'll be feeling. And as the stomach grows, they'll say that it's a tumor that's getting bigger and bigger, but that it's inoperable, so that the women should take the next okay. few months to eat as much as they'd like, as these their last few months on earth. See, I think that's a great solution. And people can complain as much as they want about how much doctors make. They really do earn yeah, it. Yeah, guys, there has been some talk, though, about the uh, babies born from these unwanted pregnancies. What about them? Oh, my God. Once a woman looks in the eyes of this child, be it in an elevator or a public bathroom, wherever it is that they suddenly give birth, they're not going to want to give that child up. Absolutely not. And look, you know, let's not forget about the uh, the statistics. 
that are emerging here. I mean, many doctors who have already started doing this have said that two to three percent of the women come back after the baby is born and actually thank the doctor for what they did. Yeah, yeah I know. That's very yeah. interesting. All right, thank you so much for the expert analysis, first responders. Audible, an Amazon company, may have 85,000 audiobooks, but they don't have my favorite book of all time, The Solitaire Mystery by Yostein Garter. It's out of print, hard to come by, and the audio version only comes on cassette tapes. So you could go to audiblepodcast.com slash best to get a free audiobook of your choice, and I'm not saying you won't find anything worth reading. I'm just saying you'll have to settle for one of the 85,000 books that doesn't contain the most fun and insightful story I've ever read. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best to be only minorly disappointed by the selection of audiobooks available. top of the show yesterday, we broadcast the first national interview with the Kansas doctor who was trying to set up the first medical practice that would provide abortions in Wichita, Kansas, since Dr. George Tiller was murdered there a year and a half ago. For me, it was one of those interviews in which I am interested in what the interview subject has to say. I'm grateful for the opportunity to advance the story by getting her to answer questions about it. But mostly, honestly, I am just overwhelmed by the fact that she is taking the personal risk she is taking to speak out. Uh, I don't mean political risk, I don't mean risk to the viability of her career, I mean actual physical risk. She is an American in danger in our country because of a legal thing she is trying to do. In the last 18 years, eight clinic workers have been murdered. Over the last 20 years, there have been another 17 attempted murders of abortion providers or clinic workers. Dr. Means told us last night that the reason she is trying to open this practice in Wichita is that her patients in South Central Kansas don't have anywhere to go to get this medical service. That's why she wants to do it. She's trying to replace a service that no longer exists because the doctor who provided it before was killed for doing it. And it's, we're left as a country with a central question here. A central question about what kind of country we are. Right now, abortions aren't available in central Kansas, not because there isn't, uh, there isn't a need for the service, not because there isn't a market for a practice that would provide the service, not because there are not doctors who are interested in providing the service, but because of murder and threats of murder and assault and terrorizing harassment. This is not just a Kansas issue. This isn't even just an abortion issue. This is an American issue. We are a country right now in which what you do professionally is in part determined by a political movement that uses violence and the threat of violence to get its way. And they are finding that to be successful. There's a bright line in American politics. You believe in force or you don't. You either believe in the law or you don't. There is a law in the country that you believe is unjust. You either believe you should peacefully advocate for it to be changed, or you believe that the justness of your cause excuses killing or otherwise terrorizing those with whom you disagree. American politics is a robust and rollicking and energized and enervating thing. Americans are not afraid to take a side, but that bright line between force and not force, that is a bright line. And we count on the law, we count on the government, we count on law enforcement to protect us from those who would use force no matter why they think it's justified. Except on this issue, we sometimes can't. In some states, in some cases, the force of law has been used itself as an instrument of intimidation and threat and harassment against doctors providing a supposedly constitutionally protected legal service. Meet Phil Klein. 
He was attorney general in Kansas from 2003 to 2007. He used the powers of his office to investigate abortion providers in Kansas, including Dr. George Tiller. According to a 36-page complaint against him filed by the state bar, quote, shortly after taking office as the attorney general for the state of Kansas, Mr. Klein met with top aides to formulate a plan to target women's health care services and Dr. Tiller. Despite the admitted, quote, absence of a definite complaint or allegation, the attorney general's team pressed on with their investigation, misleading a state agency in order to get information from it, and then using that information in a misleading way to get their anti-abortion inquisition started. Over the course of this investigation, the Phil Klein administration is accused of using his office's subpoena power to get his hands on medical records of 60 of Dr. Tiller's patients. The redacted medical records of 60 of Dr. Tiller's patients. Phil Klein's also, Phil Klein, his, his office also then subpoenaed records from a hotel near Dr. Tiller's clinic to which the clinic had referred patients a place they could stay. He subpoenaed records from the hotel too, so then he could compare the hotel records to the medical records. So even though those medical records were redacted, that way by cross-referencing them with the hotel, he could get the women's names that had been crossed out on those personal medical files. He could get their personal medical files. The document created as a result of, of this effort lists 221 potential adult patient names, 221 adult patient addresses, including the street, the city, and the state, 221 adult patient telephone numbers. But he did not stop at using the powers of his office to identify the patients of Dr. Tiller. The Attorney General staff then engaged in an effort to identify visitors and employees of Dr. Tiller's clinic. They staked out the clinic, they followed visitors and employees to their vehicles, they recorded automobile license plate numbers, and then used the powers of their office to identify those people. Phil Klein could be disbarred next week, <clears throat> excuse me, for the way that he obtained those medical records and for what his office did with them. His hearing on ethics charges is set to begin Monday in Topeka. We are going to be covering that as a show. We may be sending part of our show to Kansas for next week. On an issue for which extremists have murdered or attempted to murder 25 people in the last 20 years, Phil Klein is an example of where Americans who should be able to count on the protection of law instead were victimized by the people who were supposed to be protecting them. In South Dakota today, there's been national attention to a bill that would call it justifiable homicide to kill someone who would try to harm a fetus. The bill's author says this has nothing to do with abortion whatsoever. Anti-abortion extremists who have killed and physically attacked abortion providers over the last 20 years, of course, have argued in court again and again that they see the killing of abortion doctors as justifiable homicide. The South Dakota bill was supposed to be voted on today. It has been put off until tomorrow. The reason it's causing so much consternation is the fear that this will be yet another dog whistle from the supposed mainstream anti-abortion movement to those on the radical edge of the movement who have proven time and time again that they will kill to get their way and who are unrepentant about it when they have done it. Hey, you guys, it's justifiable homicide. Did you hear that? Whether or not you care about abortion rights, whether or not you care about the South Dakota legislature or attorney generals in Kansas, the question here remains, what kind of country are we? When we are confronted with the evidence, when we're confronted with the wanted posters, we're confronted with the murders and the attempted murders, when we're confronted with the landlord lawsuits over the promises of harassment, when we're confronted with the directives that doctors should be intimidated in their homes, what do we as a country do about that? Are we okay with a political movement physically intimidating Americans out of doing something they would otherwise do? Should we be encouraging that movement? Or should we be encouraging and protecting the people who they are winning against by terrorizing? There's nobody providing abortions in Wichita, Kansas today. There's nobody providing abortions in Wichita since Dr. Tiller was murdered. 
and that's true because of domestic terrorism. The threat of violence against people who would otherwise be providing that legal service. Our guest last night is the living evidence of that. What are we as a country doing to stop that? Representative Bobby Franklin in Georgia who proposed legislation that would force women who miscarry to file a police report just in case there was any um, shady business going on during the time of the miscarriage. Okay, so basically he's interested in treating women who just had a miscarriage like uh, potential criminals. All right, so um, there is a woman by the name of Jill Filipovic and she wrote an awesome piece in Alternet. And I thought that it was, it was both um, a, a very intelligent way to respond to the legislation and a funny way to respond to it. She's basically saying that since these um, Republicans want to treat women who miscarry as potential criminals, women should do everything that they can, and she's being sarcastic, but women should do everything that they can to keep evidence of something that could potentially have been a crime. Okay, so she writes this letter that she wants women to send to um, Representative Franklin, and I'm going to read you part of the letter, and you guys will get you'll get what she's trying to get at. All right, so she says, as a as I'm sure you know, more than 50% of fertilized eggs, Georgia citizens, naturally don't implant and are flushed out the body during menstruation. I'm personally concerned that my own murdering woman body might have flushed out some human beings and I might ha might, may have flushed them down the toilet without knowing that I was disposing of Georgia citizens in such an undignified way. This must be remedied. I would like to be sure that I am not killing any more Georgia citizens and that if I am, they are able to receive a proper funeral and not a burial at sea and that our state police can dedicate valuable time and resources to investigating the deaths. To that end, I attach a picture of my latest used tampon. I'm preserving this tampon as well as all of my other tampons, pads, feminine hygiene products and soiled panties from my current menstrual cycle so that the Georgia State Police can come collect them as evidence. I would also be happy to drop the specimens off at your office. Okay. So, it's, look, it's disgusting, okay? It's disgusting to picture it and imagine it. But at the same time, I, I think that it's, it's a f very smart way to respond to this insane bill, right? It, it's like, are you seriously going to treat women like criminals? You, really? Uh, why would they file a police report? How does that make any sense at all? Now, here are the things I like about this. Uh, I like the facts that she uses, that 50% of... Uh, Fertilized know, eggs do not implant. Yeah, uh, when egg is attached to an... Uh, I'm sorry, when sperm is attached to an egg and it's fertilized, 50% of them get washed out by God himself, presumably. Uh, are we going to call Hall uh, uh, God into court? <laughs> I'd love to see what Bobby Franklin has to say about that. And she clarifies, by the way, don't actually send in the tampons because that could be a legal problem because it might be a biohazard that you're sending to a, 
to a politician. <laughs> That's why she's saying uh, sending the pictures. Now, of course, it's disgusting, right? Uh, but the law is disgusting. And uh, and on the other hand, you know, she talks about sending in her soiled panties. Don't do that. Don't offer that to a Republican. He, he's there's some chance he'll accept. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but that's a good point. That's a very good point. No, and you're right. She, wa she wants women to take pictures of the soiled panties and, you know, the feminine hygiene products and um, mail the pictures along with this letter to Representative Franklin. And it's disgusting, but you're absolutely right. The bill is disgusting, and that's what he deserves. So, you know, let me just say something. Usually when women miscarry, okay, it's not because they wanted it to happen. Usually when they miscarry, it's a disastrous situation and they're in a terrible position emotionally to begin with, okay? You're gonna have them go file a police report? Like, how disgusting are you? What is, what's up with this Republican war on women? It, I don't, I really don't get it. Like, wh do they think that this makes them holier? This makes them better people? Darlene from uh, Nina, Wisconsin. I love your show. Um, I try to listen to it every day. Don't always get to it. And uh, I was wondering if you'd ever done a show on the Supreme Court justices because I haven't heard one. Uh, specifically, Justice Thomas. What uh, what he's been up to? Well, he doesn't speak on his job and uh, what his wife's been up to. Um, that's it. I just wanted to tell you I love your show. I'm unfortunately uh, on a fixed income and can't afford to buy a subscription, but keep it up. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Hi, this is Joe from Ohio. Uh, you were asking for feedback on formats for the show. Uh, I listen to your show while I'm commuting for work, long drives, multiple hours, so I like to take two or three of them at once and just kind of go with them and, and listen. I really enjoy them. I prefer the ones where you tackle an issue as opposed to a single event. Uh, really gives me a little bit more uh, breadth of what uh, is out there. You know, a lot of us can see the Rachel Maddow show or the Daily Show or the Colbert Report, but I like it when you kind of hit some of the podcasts and some of the news outlets that aren't readily available to everyone. So there you go. Keep up the good work. I, I really enjoy what you're doing. Hi, Jay. Dave in Tucson. Second time caller. I'm a member and a huge fan of the show. I was particularly moved by a recent uh, caller you had, a young man from Oregon who's in uh, high school. His name was Jack, I believe. And I am sending in a special gift of $100, which will represent a two-year membership for Jack. So, Jack, you're in. Your dues are paid. Sit back and listen and learn. I just think it's extremely important to fan the flames of 
of knowledge and clarity and intelligence and integrity in our young people. And uh, I have a notion that if I asked Jack if our president was was raised in Kenya, he would know the answer to that question. Whereas an ordained minister, previous governor of a state, presidential hopeful, didn't seem to know that. And either he was lying or really ignorant. Either way, it is depressing. We need the Jacks, the Jays, we need all of us to pitch in and help turn the tide of what's going on in this country. So. Thanks to you all, and I will continue to be a huge fan for the rest of my life. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hey, Jay, this is Sarah from Iowa City, Iowa, responding to um, one of your callers from episode 463 from Altoona, Iowa. Uh, when I heard they were from the, my head snapped neck rather because um, I'm from there and I grew up and it's just a conservative little hole in the ground however the fact that one of your callers is from Iowa and from that little town Altoona makes me so happy um, I grew up when it was only 6,000 and I'm sure it's well beyond that now and I don't return because I can't imagine anyone in that town listening to best for left but the fact that it does I might just stop for a weekend again. Love your show. Um, keep up the great work. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So much to get to today. First of all, the heartwarming story of uh, Jack, the sophomore in high school. You probably heard his message a couple of shows back. Um, you know, he was he encouraged people to you know donate to the show because he wished that he could, but he's a sophomore in high school, and you know he doesn't have the money, so. Um, down, going down the list, first of all, at least one, if not two people, signed up for memberships and then wrote to me saying that they had done so because of Jack's, you know, comments. Uh, secondly, there was Dave who called in and left a voicemail that you heard today, who donated a hundred dollars on Jack's behalf. So you know, Jack qualifies for a two-year membership based on that. Uh, additionally. Without any warning, uh, Michael, an Aussie, uh, every time he writes in, he likes to make sure that I remember he's from Australia and he's supporting the show. Uh, so so uh, Michael the Aussie uh, also signed up for another membership. I, I think I'm damn near positive he's already a member, but he signed up for another one on Jack's behalf. Um, so Jack's set to go for like three years now. And, uh, and then on top of all of that, my own mother who's already a socialist member, uh, heard Jack's comments and also wanted to sign up for another membership. Uh, but I, I, I told her, well, hold off on that for a second. Let me get back to you. And then in the meantime, I got those other two, two memberships that came in. So, you know, awesome. Uh, I, I mean, thanks to everybody for the support. Thanks to Jack for calling in. Thanks to everyone for wanting to help on his behalf. Uh, I, Jack received his membership information and wrote back saying, Thanks to everyone for all of their support. Thanks to my mother and and everyone who uh, you know who who came through for him. So you know it's times like these that I'm sad I'm doing a podcast because this is like this is a group hug moment. But 
no one's around. So uh, that's that. Second major, major thing I want to talk about today, I have a challenge for progressive, kick-ass web designers. Uh, This is not something I'm asking you to do for me. This is not for the show. This is for the progressive media community as a whole. Um, I've heard at least twice, if not more times, uh, suggestions from listeners that uh, what would be really great is if there was a way to uh, support financially multiple independently produced progressive shows in a more simple way, meaning uh, to make one payment that can be divided up among whatever set of shows you choose to support. You know, all the progressive shows, they should get together, form a coalition, and you can donate, you know, just to that, and then it gets divided up. You know, there's got to be a way to do it. And so um, so I've heard that suggestion a couple of times. I think it's a good idea, uh, and I think that all of the producers, myself included, are being stopped from pursuing an idea like that for a couple of reasons. One, it's probably way over the head of any given individual uh, who does a show like this. We just like we just don't have the web skills to pull that off. That that's my first guess. My second guess is, you know, as, as an individual show, the uh, like the the personal motivation isn't quite there. You know, like we're all super busy. You know, it takes just about everything out of us to do the shows we do already. So, you know, building on top of that is really difficult, especially when it's would be some like big, massive uh, project like this. And then thirdly, just, you know, the logistics would be tough. It'd be hard to figure out. And so, so I'd, he- I'd heard this suggestion before and basically thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Too bad it won't happen, uh, you know, because I was like, well, I can't do it and I'm not going to be able to convince anybody else to do it. And, you know, but I, after hearing it a couple more times, I thought, you know what? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Crowdsource. I'm putting out the call. I'm putting out the challenge. If you are interested in tackling this sort of thing, I think it is something that will, uh, you know, uh, marginally benefit shows like mine, but will majorly benefit anybody who's interested in donating to shows like mine. So, you know, if you're interested in helping, uh, helping the progressive media community build a stronger base of support, um, and, and honestly, just like bottom line, it would make people happier. Anybody who uh, donates regularly to more than one political show, I guarantee that they would love to have an option like this Instead of balancing, you know, a couple of different payments or several different payments, however many they they may do, if they could just do one, have it set up through a central system, I know that they would love it. And if it's set up really easily and it's easy to sign up for, I can also pretty much guarantee that the shows would sign up for it and be like, yeah, count me in. I'll I'll, I'll be in that group. So I I kicked the idea around just the tiniest, tiniest bit. And one reaction I got was that uh, it could be something basically like uh, Act Blue for progressive media. So, um, you know, if you're familiar with Act Blue, it's a great fundraising tool for progressive candidates, you know, for their campaigns. This would be a great progressive fundraising tool for progressive media, basically. Uh, I think that there is a way to set it up so that uh, you could donate, you know, one-time donations or sign up for recurring memberships, select all the shows you want to support, type in the amounts you want to support each given show, 
uh, or or click to sign up for a membership that's you know a a, a preset amount determined by each you know each producer and um, you know have it all totaled up at the bottom and pay and have some system that you guys have to design work that out so that the money is debited from the donor and then distributed to the producers. If you think it can be done and you're interested, uh, drop me a line. And I don't really want to be a part of this other than as a sounding board for ideas. Um, you know, I can give you kind of the the uh, producer's perspective on what would work and what wouldn't work and, and what would be most interesting. But, um, you know, mostly I just want to get some names of some people, introduce you all to each other, and then step out of the way. And then you make some magic happen build a great site and uh, continue to solidify the foundation on which, uh, you know, independent progressive media is built. So that's that. I think it's really exciting stuff if uh, we can pull it off. And, you know, I'm I'm pulling for you guys. I can't do it myself, but I hope one of you out there can. Now I'm just going to thank a couple members. Priscilla A. signed up for a leftist membership back on September 27th. And Jerry S. also signed up for a leftist membership on uh, August 14th. Uh, Jerry signed up for a full year in advance, which I love. Uh, you know, shows dedication to the show, so I really appreciate that. Uh, but uh, huge thanks to Priscilla and Jerry and all the members and donors who make the show possible. Continue to support the show by telling everyone you know about it. Donate your Twitter account to us through the website. Follow the show between episodes on Facebook and Twitter. And of course, get details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestofthelift.com. Now black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet